God supplied their every need and not only gave them through faith what they needed, but he multiplied the miracle. He not only gave clothes, but he also gave food that lasted for a week and he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could ever hope for or imagine. Do you believe in miracles? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, you know that David is walking us through the Gospel of John. Today, David shares a personal story of how God performed a miracle in his and Marilyn's life that continues to be multiplied. Turn with me to John 6-1 for a message called Multiplied Miracles. Well, as we look at John, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 15, it's the very famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. You'll see in the text, it actually says the feeding of the 5,000 men, which means with children and women there, it was probably 15 to 20,000 people. Interestingly, uh, it's the only story outside the resurrection that is told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, By the way, we're a week out from the resurrection, and remember that today is Resurrection Sunday as well, because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive, and we need to celebrate that. But in looking at the story of John 6, 1 through 15, and the feeding of the 15 to 20,000 entitled Multiplied Miracles, How God Wants to Do Miracles and Then Multiply Them, a couple of stories came to mind. Uh, First of all, from Dan and Scott Anderson, two brothers on staff here at Moments of Hope Church. They are essential to our life and ministry in so many different ways. They both told me this story. It's really amazing. Uh, They were raised in a preacher's kids family, six kids, mom and dad, ate all together, rural Pennsylvania, and dad didn't make a whole lot of money. There was a time that they were together and there was no food. There was just no food. They were very hungry. So they prayed for food and asked God to give them the food that they needed. And they prayed and prayed and prayed till finally the mail came and they went through the mail, but there was no food money at all. Uh, The kids were disappointed. Uh, Mom didn't want the kids to be disappointed. She wanted them to continue to live in great faith. So they continued to pray and believe. Then a UPS package comes from nowhere, and they open it up and find that it's clothes. Now, they had asked God for food money, but it was clothes, and they were grateful for the food. So mom allowed all of the kids to give thanks to God for the clothes that had come in. And then in the back pocket, in one of the pieces of the clothing was an envelope. They opened up the envelope, and there was a check for enough food for an entire week of a family of eight. They celebrated, praised God, and then went to the store and purchased the food. Note they walked to the store because they didn't have a car. They were that poor. But God supplied their every need and not only gave them through faith what they needed, but he multiplied the miracle. He not only gave clothes, but he also gave food that lasted for a week. And Dan and Scott have told me that those kinds of miracles happened regularly in their family of eight that just had to depend upon the Lord so often for their daily needs. The second story is very personal. Um, Marilyn, as you know, was infertile, and we were told we would probably never have children whatsoever. 
But Marilyn just kept believing that that was going to be something that God was going to give us. She had sensed a word from the Lord in her heart that that was going to happen. And not to retell the story that I've told probably too often because it's meant so much to us, but after eight long years of waiting, a miracle happened. Um, Something happened inside of her by the Holy Spirit that healed some endometrial problems that she had. And soon after that particular healing occurred, we had Bethany. And then three years later, believing that God still had someone for us, Marilyn experienced another pregnancy. That was David Banner, our second son. And then I was satisfied, boy and a girl, good heavens, what else could I want? But then five years after that, Marilyn still believed there was yet another one. And of course, Michael was given to us um, after that five years of waiting. Uh, What's so beautiful in the story is that out of that barren womb came those three kids that God miraculously gave us. But the message today is about multiplied miracles. Last weekend, Marilyn and I went to Chapel Hill to celebrate the first son given to Michael and Cassie. His name is Grayson James Chadwick. Here's a picture of that beautiful baby. And some of you may not know this, but Grayson James Chadwick being our eighth grandchild, when we were up in Chapel Hill, uh, Bethany and Ryan brought up their five children, and they were there with Grayson. David was able to come with me, not Jesse and the other two, but I was just watching all of those six grandchildren who were there swarming around one another, and I looked at Marilyn, and folks, I just got tears in my eyes as my mind remembered to those eight long years when We were told by medical experts we'd never have children, and Marilyn just kept believing in faith that God was going to do that. And not only did he give us one, not only did he give us two, he gave us three, and they're looking at those eight grandchildren. I thought to myself, (laughs) forgive me, that's, that's a multiplied miracle. A miracle given to us by Bethany, and then through all of them now eight grandchildren. So we're just very humble and very grateful. And that's the message I want to share with all of you today. God wants to do a miracle in your life. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could ever hope for or imagine, Ephesians 3.20. And not only does he want to give you the miracle, sometimes he may even want to multiply the miracle, cause just clothes to become a week's worth of food, cause one long waited for baby to become eight grandchildren. God multiplying miracles. That's the message today. So let's look at the text and let's go through it together today so that God can continue to teach us from his word how to give us miracles and indeed multiplied miracles. Uh, Let's look at the text today. Let's begin with verse 1 of John 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, a couple of things. After this, Whenever you see that in the Bible, you don't know how much time actually passes, and it looks like between the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, it's about 18 months. About 18 months later, after the conclusion of chapter 5, we have Jesus going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias. What's interesting there is, during that time period, the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias were two synonymous names for one another, but both, again, showing us that geographically, archaeologically, and historically, that what is in the Bible is absolutely accurate. So, Jesus retreats. Why? Because of this reality. If you don't come apart, 
you'll come apart. If you don't take a break, you'll break. If you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. In Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus often withdrew to pray. Dear friends, if God in human flesh, totally God and totally human, needed times to break, and just get away from the multitudes, get away from the demands, get away from the job and the vocational callings, so do you and I. We need that. It's an important part of a lesson here in John 6, verse 1. Now look at verse 2. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's a seven-mile trek via boat. And when he gets to the other side, they retreat up a mountain, and sure enough, the crowds found him out. They knew how he healed the sick, and the sick were brought to him in numbers as well here in order for them to be healed. Uh, The crowds, they love to follow Jesus. Some people have asked me this question, um, how big will moments of hope get? Because the crowds seem to be increasing. And here's the bottom line, dear friends, moments of hope church will be as large as God wants it to be. You know, when we first started two years ago, can you believe that? We just celebrated our two-year anniversary last week. Um, When we first started, people asked me the question, how large do you want to get? And I answered, and I really meant it, look, I'll be content pastoring a church of 200. Now, some people laugh at that, but I really meant it at the time because I just wanted to pastor. God called me to be a pastor. I'm not a celebrity. I don't want to be a celebrity. If you cut me open, I'm a pastor. I bleed pastor. I love people. I love caring for people, praying for people, and loving people. So I really would have been content with a 200-person church, but it's gotten larger than that even now as we move forward. But I'm excited for whoever wants to come because I just want people to come and know Jesus. You know, when my son David was two years old, someone said to me, well, if you double his height at two years of age, you'll know how tall he is. Well, I did so, and it said he'll be six feet, four inches tall. And I was fine with that because I just wanted a son, and I was happy for him to be whatever height that God wanted him to be. Well, dear friends, he's six feet, nine inches tall. So don't follow that myth. Uh, Our uh, son, grandson Banner is pretty tall, too, as a, a child. He's almost three now, and we doubled his height at two. He's going to be as tall as God wants him to be. My son David's is as tall as God wants him to be. Moments of Hope Church will be as large as God wants it to be. If we're 200, if we're 2,000, I don't care. I'm not into numbers. Numbers don't define success. In fact, I think numbers could define fat in the body of Christ. I just want people to be holy, devoted followers of Jesus. So if we have 200 or 2,000, I just want everyone who's a part of this body, to completely and totally follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, minds, and might. That's my heartbeat. And the crowds were following Jesus, but I don't think he was concerned with crowds. He was concerned with commitment. Look at verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, I'm sitting down teaching you today because in that day, I'm making the illustration here, the rabbis who had a following would always sit down and teach. Maybe that's because they would sometimes teach for hours on end and they needed to sit down to do so. So imagine Jesus is on a mountaintop and he is sitting down and he's looking down at his 12 disciples who'd gone up on the mountain with him. He was teaching them, his disciples. The word disciple, by the way, means 
learner, a pupil, everybody who's a disciple of Jesus is in a constant state of learning. He was teaching them, and then the crowd started coming up the mountain. Jesus is looking down at his disciples. Then he looks up and sees the crowds coming toward him. Now, verse 4. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So Jesus experienced three Passovers in the gospel accounts. Uh, We have the first one when he met Nicodemus earlier after he changed water into wine. This is the second Passover during Jesus' earthly ministry. And here he is in Galilee, in the northern part of Israel. He is not in Jerusalem. The third Passover, he will be in Jerusalem. That is indeed when he was arrested and placed on the cross, ultimately to be raised from the dead. But here we see that this is the second Passover. So this is probably during the second year of Jesus' life and ministry when this particular event happened. So look at verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So in in verse 5, Jesus raises his head. He sees that it's 5,000 men, 15 to 20,000 people, the crowd coming up the mountain toward him. So he looks at his 12 and he picks out Philip the only disciple whose name is Greek in origin. That could mean that Philip came from a Greek-speaking family, uh, someone who had some background of um, Gentile blood in him. So he looks at Philip and he says, look at this crowd. And he said, said to him, where are we going to find the food in order for all these people to eat? Now, the question is, why in the world did Jesus choose Philip? Well, we know that Philip was from Bethsaida, which was the closest city to where the disciples were. So it's like Jesus said, hey, uh, Phil, um, you're from uh, the town that's closest to us. Maybe you know of a Costco or a Walmart that may be open at this time and how we could get enough food to feed all these people. Uh, Or maybe you know a DoorDash that could bring that food to us right now or Uber Eats that could feed enough people here to keep them um, from getting so hungry as they're coming up the mountain toward us right now. And why did Jesus ask Philip about feeding these large numbers of people? And the next verse tells us, he said this to Philip to test him. He, he said this to test Philip. Now, what's he testing? He's testing Philip's faith. Philip, how in the world are we going to feed these thousands upon thousands of people? And then interestingly, Jesus then said, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew all along how he was going to feed this large multitude of people. But he asked Philip to try to decide how to do it because he was testing his faith. Now look at verse 7. Philip answered him, well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little bit. So you can see Philip's mind working. He was the engineer of the disciples. Uh, He probably pulled out his calculus, his sundial calculus, and tried to begin to calculate how in the world we could feed this many people and how much it would cost. He concluded 200 denarii for all those thousands of people. Uh, That's eight months wages during that day. 
So it didn't take long for Philip to conclude, we need enough money, eight months worth of work in order to feed all of these people. That's what he concluded. Now, what Jesus knew is that he could solve this problem easily, but he wanted Philip particularly. We don't know why, especially Philip, but my guess it was for Philip and all the other 11 as well to come to the conclusion that it's not by my might, but by God's power that things are accomplished, says the Lord. That's Zechariah 4, 6. He, he wanted Philip and probably the other 11 to come to the conclusion, Matthew 19, 26, that nothing is impossible with God. Uh, he wanted Philip and the other 11 to realize the reality of Jeremiah 32, 17, where God said, Behold, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Uh, Jesus wanted them to come to understand, like Paul did later on in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where God spoke to him in his weakness and said, it is by your weakness that you're made strong. Uh, Jesus wanted Philip and the 11 to come to the reality that it's not in their strength they could feed these multitudes, but only in realizing their weakness and depending upon the Lord. Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he was testing Philip and the other 11 to see if they had the faith to believe that God could do it. He did it to test him. Now, what's the purpose of a test? The purpose of a test is to know if we know the information. Teachers would give pop tests when I was growing up. We hated those. But it was for the purpose of seeing if we knew the information. Uh, the teacher gives tests to make sure we know what we should know. Well, Jesus was testing Philip's faith because he wanted him to know what he should know. And what is that? That all things are possible with God. Now, sometimes you need to realize that the greater the level, the greater the devil. The more God is using you, the more the, the demonic hosts and Satan himself want to attack you. So here's what you need to realize. Satan should not be feared he is an enemy, he's strong and powerful, but he's a creature. God is the creator. So if Satan is the enemy of our soul, and he is the one who comes against us in the spiritual warfare of this world, that means that God uses Satan and his attacks against us to test our faith. He's on a leash, folks. He can only do what God permits him to do. But sometimes God will let the enemy attack us to see if we really believe. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to discuss today's Davidism about how to enjoy the journey called life. We'll be right back. What does the Bible tell us about the end times? The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. David Chadwick has made an informative video called The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We would love to give this video to you as a resource to equip you, to help you understand the history and prophecies of the second coming found in the Old Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, Jesus' first coming, and how we can have faith in His second coming. This video is a compelling account of the foundation of the Christian faith. To receive your free copy of this video, go to momentsofhopechurch.org listener. 
Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. End Time Prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. Great to be with you as well. Would you share with us today about your latest Davidism called Enjoy the Journey? Yeah, Jen, this one is rooted in the reality. I'm sure a lot of people understand this, that we need to focus more on the journey and enjoy the scenic ride rather than always thinking about the destination. Hmm. If God has given us a dream, the destination will be the accomplishment of that dream. But as we're traveling down that road, we should enjoy the journey. And don't forget that God is Lord over the journey as well. So that's what I'm trying to say with this one. So let me ask this question to everyone. Have you ever heard the statement, the journey is the reward? Mm -hmm. I know I have many Mm -hmm. times. So as you move toward your life's destination, the journey should be enjoyed. We are to rejoice in the days that the Lord has given us. And sure, we all experience hard days, bad times, setbacks along the way. But when you look at the sum of your life as compared to the season and stages, you should be able to do so joyfully with fulfillment and understanding that God works in all things. That's Romans 8, 28. Mm. God has a plan for all of us for a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's why we should constantly seek God's purpose in our lives and strive for his plan to be fulfilled in and through us. Just don't forget, everyone, don't forget to enjoy the journey along the way. Take some time to stop, Mm. reflect, halt, remember, enjoy the moment, seasons of rest, God's sanctified serendipities, as I call them. He's in everything, even the times when we need to pause and just rest in the Lord. We sometimes forget that the joy of the journey will far surpass the arrival at the eventual destination. That's the message I wanted all to hear today. Just make sure that you enjoy every step of the journey because God is with you as you do so. Wow, this is this is a like a massage for the soul, really, because if if you're like me, listeners, and have dealt with anxiety, this gives you permission to just breathe deep and enjoy the moment because really anxiety robs you of the moment. And you forget, like I've had, I'm like, do I have short-term memory loss? I don't remember, but it's Mm. the anxiety that has thrusted me out of the moment and being present. Boy, Jen, that's a great statement. Anxiety is a thief. It is. Anxiety is a thief. We'll say it one more time. Anxiety is a thief. When you choose to focus your mind on the circumstances and you forget the God who controls the circumstances, you're going to be like Peter getting out of the boat and falling into the water. As long as he focused on Jesus, he could walk on water, have a supernatural power that was within him. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the size of the waves during that storm, Mm -hmm. they were seven to ten feet high. And when he looked at the waves, he had anxiety. When he looked at Jesus, he had peace. It really is that clear. So anxiety is a thief and will rob you of the joy of the journey. Well, this has been so powerful. Thank you so much for the practical ways that we can just stop halt. Thank you so much for giving us these tips and stretch out the moments when we feel God's presence. Good word, Jen. Oh, good word. And and maybe, maybe I could end it with another Davidism. If you don't come apart, you'll come apart. 
God calls us into seasons of rest in the journey. You're okay to stop along the way and enjoy the scenery beside you as you move toward your life's destination. Wow, so powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. And everybody, if you'd like to receive these daily e-blasts from me, these Davidisms, these moments of hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours to give you daily a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to get your free video called The End Times. This is our gift, free for all of our Moments of Hope radio listeners. This informative teaching looks at what the Bible tells us about the end times. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, that's momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For all of us at Moments of Hope Church, this is Jen Houston. Jen Houston.